standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this week's episode of The Sunday Chops. I know what you're thinking. You were expecting Carrie Adloyd. But look, our scheduling isn't foolproof. Fortunately, we've got another cracking interview for you this week. We promised you grief and instead we're giving you domestic abuse. Don't say we don't give you anything. This week, I chat to Dr. Lisa Segura, reader in Cybercrime and Gender at the University of Portsmouth. I know what you're thinking. Jesus, H. Christ, that could cover a lot of ground. And yes, it does. Listen on for more about how the online world presents new opportunities for domestic abusers, why the online safety bill is frankly not worth the paper it's written on, and why it's not all lols about Andrew Tate's pizza box faux pas. It's a meaty old list, but fortunately, Lisa is excellent. And I think you're going to find what she has to say to be very interesting indeed. Don't have nightmares, lads. I'm joined by Dr. Lisa Segura, reader in Cybercrime and Gender at the University of Portsmouth. Hello, Lisa. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, thanks for inviting me on. So Cybercrime and Gender, well... There's a very specific example that we've just talked about offline and we'll talk about again in a minute. But so there are possibly some ideas in people's minds at the moment about, you know, what that might cover. But I wondered if you could tell me, first of all, a little bit about what you do. So, so yes, as you mentioned, I'm a reader in cybercrime and gender at the University of Portsmouth. That means I lecture and research. And my main sorts of things that I, I both teach and study um, are online gender-based violence issues. And so really what I'm looking at is how technology and digital tools in the online sphere is being used to harm women and marginalised persons and essentially how it is not necessarily creating new behaviours, but it's replicating those harms that we've always had offline and is exacerbating as well the sort of inequalities that we have in our society. I first heard of you a while ago now and some some work that you were doing was reported on around how online and sort of technological I guess opportunities probably a slightly strange way of putting it but opportunities that were being exploited basically as a means of domestic abuse so as you say things that have always happened but it's just the online world is presenting new ways to do that and I suppose the concern must be that it widens the reach of someone to abuse someone as well so if you can't do it physically you can now do it kind of at arm's length which gives you more scope right can you tell me a little bit about this and and what kind of things are we talking about because there are some really obvious examples like tracking devices on mobile phones ranging to some quite sort of bizarre concepts like heating apps for example so can you tell me a little bit more about that yeah so as you just noted that essentially when you've got perpetrators they will use whatever repertoire of tools are available to them to extend their coercive and controlling abuses and behaviors and so there's one particular project that I conducted on behalf of the home office with colleagues at the University of Portsmouth and colleagues at the University of Kent we looked at how technology is facilitating new and pre-existing forms of domestic abuses And so I mentioned previously that my work looks at online gender-based violence and and included within that sort of sphere are things like image-based abuse, online harassment, sexualized threats, 
gendered hate speech and all of those things do come within the, the the sort of domestic abuse environment as well so where you have coercive and controlling behavior it is highly likely if not inevitable that perpetrators will then resort to using technology as well and so if if they don't automatically have access to every part of their partner's or former partner's life they were going to use technology to do that so they could hack into accounts they might not necessarily have expert computer skills to do that. And so it's it's about extending that, that coercion where they would force people to give their passwords over or by virtue of knowing their partner, they'd be able to guess passwords accurately or even do the emotional blackmail of, well, if you loved me, you'd share every aspect of your life with me. And then there's things like you mentioned, the sort of physical trackers as well, which have been placed on cars, in handbags. Um, and these are so easily available online from from many reputable, very big retailers. They're just there advertised. Um, and it's not just under the sort of purview of uh, spies or anything like that. Now, they will even have in the reviews or even in the marketing, like, do you want to check up on your partner? Do you Ooh. want to see if they're cheating? And so you've got things that are coverts of cameras or listening devices, and they're disguised as everyday objects. Really insidiously, things like children's toys and teddy bears. So it's encouraging perpetrators to then bring children into, you know, into the abuse as well. Use them as unwitting tools. Pretty much everyday items that anything you can think of, it could be fitted with a camera. And and I realise this sounds incredibly scary, but if you just it's a, if you just sort of take a look what's there, it's you know it's mind blowing. Um, plug sockets, pens, light switches, air fresheners, lampshades, <laughs> everything that you can think of and more is there. Um, and and other sort of forms of abuse as well takes the form of gaslighting and you know that, that's that's sort of very commonplace that perpetrators will try to make their their partners feel like they're losing their minds and so perpetrators are using things like the internet of things so anything that is connected networked to the internet can be used to abuse as well and so in the project we found that perpetrators were accessing like ring doorbell to be able to check up on who was um, coming to the house or what when the victim was leaving the house, track their movements, the hive heating system as well. They were controlling the heating, switching it on and off. Things like Alexa, obviously listening in, but then also being able to sort of play music and things. And thinking about those contexts on their own might not necessarily seem like such a big deal. And I'm certainly not trying to underplay any harms that people are experiencing. But if you just think about it on their own, you think, well, you know, they seem pretty innocuous. But when it forms part of that abuse, it is just something else to to control and to put fear into victims as well. And there was one case as well where we, you know, we had a victim who had left their partner and they were getting pizzas delivered and Alexa was switching on and playing this, the song that Ooh. had been that, you know, the couple special, special song. And so just playing a song on its own doesn't sound particularly negative. Well, it's very creepy. Absolutely. If we just said, oh, we play a song, but then 
if you understand the full situation, that is incredibly untoward, incredibly creepy and distressing. So distressing for somebody that feels that you know that they, they they think they might be safe or they've left that, that, that abuse and that violence behind to still to, for that perpetrator to still access them and have that control um threats of dissemination of intimate images as well that's very commonplace and of course with the advent of deepfake technology people don't even need to have actually be in the photos today for those photos to appear real Abuse on social media is endemic as well. The creation of fake accounts with perpetrators may emulate their victim or to then denigrate them and ruin their reputation. We had cases where profiles were set up and the person, obviously the fake account, mm. was advertising that they wanted sex and and the phone number and the address would be put on the profile and then actual people were turning up actual men were turning up to this house um so you know this that could have ended up in another situation as well a really dangerous situation for that victim Uh, or even accounts which are set up then pretending to be family friends to try and access the victim who might have cut off all ties with that person so i mean i could speak all day but it goes on on and on and on about the the varying different ways that technology is being used to facilitate these forms of abuses. I mean, that is quite a sobering list because it is, you know, extensive. And obviously there is a limit to what we can actually do to protect ourselves from, I don't know, someone who wanted to bring a child's toy with a concealed camera in it into our houses. But I wondered... If you could tell me on the examples like, for example, heating apps, uh, you know, Alexa, doorbell videos, things like that. Do you think that as women, you know, we need to be a little bit proportionate about this? Or do you think that there is genuine reason to be concerned or limit the access that we give these kind of devices to our lives? It's really difficult. I I don't want to present all women as victims. You know, of course, yeah, yeah. We're well, not not just know. women then, you know, like anyone Absolutely. can be abused, right? Anybody. So, um, and I certainly, you know, it's, it's it's contextual because the sharing of passwords, the you know, having joint accounts on all these different apps, um, I mean in a healthy relationship well that's that's absolutely fine and of course the problem is that you often often a relationship can seem healthy at the Mm. very beginning as well although just just to quickly highlight um Jane Monkton Smith's work yes um which did the homicide timeline where there are red flags as well at, at the beginning of a relationship if it speeds up very 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 quickly and you know there's the sort of expectations from the beginning so I I, I don't want to say that that there's never red flags but often it's not as if when you first enter sure. into a relationship that you're then worried but I think at the time where you're if you're living together and you're obviously using these things, I mean, it's, it's, and I certainly don't want to put any blame or judgment on, on anybody as well. I mean, obviously it's just a really difficult situation and that it's all part of the coercion of the perpetrator as well to, mm. to have access to every aspect of their victims' lives. But I, I think there is something, I mean, in, in terms of sort of, I, I would think about this maybe from a cyber security and like a cyber hygiene yes. perspective mm. as well, but having separate passwords, having 
um, having passwords that can't be easily guessed. I mean, if they are if they are related to your partner, your family, your pet, for example, then others can guess that too. Mm. So not using the default Wi-Fi password that comes with your router, you know, things like that, um, that you can do. But of course, it's easy to just talk about these things when you have control over your life, which often people don't in these situations. So to reframe the question a bit, I guess, because obviously you've said like anything that can be connected online can be used as a tool for abuse, right? But then it's not just the people in your life necessarily that you need to be concerned about because obviously you know stalking for example is possible for people to hack online accounts tools I don't know if we're seeing a rise in stalking but we are hearing a lot about stalking cases in in sort of mainstream media at the moment there are some very high profile ones and you know anyone can access these things if they have the know-how to do it but it's not impossible to gain that knowledge is it i think there's something about our privacy expectations now as online users as well and and being part of digital society you know where we you know particularly maybe and i don't want to judge but maybe younger generations where you know it's almost like to be a valid person today is to put everything out there about yourself obviously that information can then be used against you i think what you said about stalking i think we have have seen a rise in cases but that could just be the people are coming forward as well and more willing to report because there's more attention around it as well there's certainly a misunderstanding about stalking as opposed to cyber stalking and Mm. often so the the latter is is not is not maybe viewed as seriously when often it's an extension as well certainly not in all cases you you know there are there you know you could be cyber stalked by somebody you know in a completely different country to you they're not necessarily going to be following you in person um but there's still obviously a threat um but certainly in the sort of domestic abuse context I've been speaking about this is just a continuation that that the the physical stalking the the you know the online tracking all of that is just part of that control but yeah there's something as well about and obviously I'm really careful when I'm talking about these issues you know not to sort of lay blame on people you know we can say things like don't geotag everything but but to be honest there's so much information about us online by virtue of just just our society today that you know we trust so many companies with our data and often that's not looked after as well so it's quite easy for Mm. people that don't even necessarily have technical skills you know specialist technical know-how to be able to find out the information about people if they really wanted to I'm relatively cynical about this, but you you will tell me if I have cause to be, Lisa, I'm sure. Moving on to something that may give some hope, I guess. Um, The online, I've been calling it the online harm bill, but I believe it is actually called the online safety bill, which is finally moving again. It kind of stalled for a a ridiculous amount of time. And then obviously we've had 20 prime ministers in the last year. So things that were moving, they've, they've stalled a little bit while we mess up our economy further. Anyway, more on that another time i mean it covers a lot of the areas that you're interested in will it cover things like this is it the sort of silver bullet we all hope for 
So it's interesting that you said about the title changing. Yeah. Because it originally was the online harms bill and it's now the online safety bill, which I take great umbrage with. I mean, we've gone from recognising the impact, the significant impact on people to, oh, it's about safety. It's about responsibilising now. It's kind of, it's, it's moved, it's shifted from yeah. that. So it's- so it's no longer about the harm that it does to people and all about how we can keep ourselves safe. Well, how how we can hold social media platforms accountable, basically. How do they keep people safe when, of course, you know, their, you know, their agenda is profit? Yeah. <laughs> they were, they were never designed with user safety in mind. And now, so, you know, it's, it's basically that, you know, they're trying to patch it up, you know, and, and change, obviously, their, their whole approach. First of all, I'll say there is a real potential with this legislation. It is trying to do too much. It is trying to be everything, basically. You've got the Computer Misuse Act, which deals with the computer, so computer crime. And then basically, it's like online harm is trying to capture, or online safety, sorry, is trying to capture absolutely everything else. And the biggest issue I have with it is that gender and violence against women and girls does not feature anywhere within it. And then before you can start thinking about intersectional issues and about other marginalised persons that are also disproportionately harmed, and they are, we have the evidence to show Mm. who is disproportionately harmed by abuse online. And that is not taken into account anywhere. So what we're presented with is an attempt at a gender-neutral piece of legislation. And we know that does not work in practice practice it does not take into account the lived experience of victims and survivors and so the problem is with that legislation then it's going to default to what we already have or don't have in some cases Mm. um so when you've got things like image-based abuse for example that's under the criminal justice courts act 2015 but that is an awful piece of legislation anyway i mean for starters that offense is a sexual offense it should have gone in the sexual offenses act to ensure that victims are protected with anonymity. But of course, it's not. So victims don't have the right to Oh, really? Exactly. I didn't know that. That's interesting. When we have gendered harms, we need to have that gender dimension written into the legislation to understand the impact. And so the example of the Criminal Justice Courts Act, which is just say this again, gender neutral, not even recognising the sexualised element of it, because it is sexualised, but more so for women. Because men and women, um, not so sure about persons of um, non-gender binary, but men and women certainly seem to experience image-based sexual abuse at similar rates. But the impact is different. Thinking about the audience reaction as well. So when when women, images of women are disseminated, I mean, they get the rape threats, the sexualized comments, you know, the abuse, the shame. Men, and this is all part of that kind of machismo, you know, you know, well done, bro sort of thing. And it's not to say that there's not individual men who are embarrassed by it, but the reaction is not the same. So the harms therefore are not the same. And it's not a sexualized reaction as well to men. There's obviously a very different perspective on men's bodies as opposed to women's bodies in the public sphere. So that we've got that legislation, which is useless. Um, and so going back to say the the online safety bill as well, the whole concept of harmful but illegal has now been removed as well that was going to be problematic because I think at one point they said it was going to be for MPs to decide 
what is harmful but legal. Mm. So therefore you've got people, you know, the elite, completely out of touch with reality, you know, going, mm, I think this is harmful without ever speaking to victims and survivors, those that actually can tell you what is harmful, what those experiences are actually like. Um, but now that's been completely removed. There's just so much leeway for social media companies basically to to not n- not really protect those that really need it. That leads me nicely into my next question, which is around another area of your expertise. So you've written a book, The Incel Rebellion, The Rise of the Manosphere and Virtual War Against Women. It's a topical issue. I mean, it's always a topical issue, but especially at the moment, at the point at which we're talking on the 4th of January, it does kind of relate to the online harm safety, sorry, the online safety bill as well, which will tackle online content around inciting violence, for example, although obviously misogyny is still not recognised as a hate crime, so that's no help to us. However, let's talk about Andrew Tate, the I think he's an influencer. I'm not really sure. I hadn't actually heard of him until the other week when he was in the news because he sort of, for reasons that, you know, maybe only Andrew Tate knows, he decided to take Greta Thunberg to task over her beliefs in not killing the planet and wound up being detained by the Romanian authorities on suspicions of rape and sexual trafficking, exploitation of women. You know, it's kind of easy to laugh it off in a way as, you know, you got caught by a pizza box, even though that is technically not true. The Romanian authorities have said it was not identified that he was in the country because he did have some pizza boxes in the picture that he posted online. Um, Just to dismiss that piece of disinformation quickly. But it's easy to kind of dismiss the story as like a bit funny in a way, because obviously he's, he's the one who's currently being held by the Romanian authorities etc etc but how worried should we actually be about the presence of people like Andrew Tate on online platforms and how can legislation like the online safety bill have any real teeth if people like him are allowed to return or just exist on platforms such as Twitter right okay yeah so yeah I mean I think to start, we absolutely do need to to take people like Andrew Tate and other. I'm not. I mean, misogynists. Yeah. Let's call them what they are. You know, we can give them the monikers of you know anti-feminists or you know countercultural kind of uh, mavericks or something. But no, they're, they're misogynists. And I think the the point you made about um, you know, it's almost like they're ridiculous. It's, yes. it's like it's yeah. like satire, right? It's like this this one-dimensional parody of yeah. the macho alpha male, which just doesn't seem real. You don't, and, you, and I think that there's a strength in that, isn't there? The fact that it's, 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 it's all too easy for, you know, some people like you and I to just go, oh, yeah, that's, that is ridiculous. Who would listen to that? Who would take it seriously? But unfortunately, it is having an effect. It is warping the minds of young people boys and men and even some women are buying into this as well you know which seems completely mad but this social is, conditioning man yeah. internalized misogyny yeah. is a thing yeah well yeah absolutely we all grew up in the same society mm. so to think that women are, are going to be exempt from the same the same conditioning and ideologies well yeah that's ridiculous 
there's been a real societal shift, I would say, maybe over the past sort of five to seven years. Um, and you mentioned my book and my research on incels and the broader manosphere. And certainly that's what we've seen with that, that sort of development and this, this anti-woman, anti-feminine, anti-feminist kind of perspective, which, you know, is more than just challenging, you know, these ideas, but it's actually basically trying to control 51% of the, of the world and threaten Western democracy. There's this fear that's being propagated that somehow, you know, there's a that men are under threat. And more than that, it's white men mm. that are under threat because there are connections with far right ideology as well that we can't escape. And it's and it's also um pertinent that you said about Greta Thunberg and and you know Andrew Tate sort of challenging her. It's almost not seen to be like alpha masculine to be eco-conscious. <laughs> as well it's, it's like a link which is also interesting because then you've got eco-fascists as well yeah. so there's all there's so much contradiction going on as well but yeah this there's the whole sort of male and white supremacy and climate change that that there's there's connections there too as well but yet this sort of fear that masculinity is in crisis and this is not to say that men and boys don't have genuine issues they absolutely mm. do but you know Andrew Tate and Manosphere groups you know that's they're not concerned with making that progression with offering that support even though there are many supporters of Andrew Tate that go oh he does great things you know he's motivating young men to go out there and make something of themselves yes go motivating them to go out there and control women <laughs> that's not a positive no. you know if that's, if that's motivational that's really problematic <laughs> But yet, you know, so instead of like trying to engage in activism about um, getting shelters for male victims of domestic abuse, because you know, there isn't any, and, you know, more support and things like that for the men with mental health issues and the fact the suicide rates for men, you know, it's extraordinarily high. That's a real problem. That is not being dealt with. Instead, it's, it's always, you know, that women and the society that favours women that's what the problem is. That's what's causing all of men's problems without kind of, I say, seeing the bigger picture. Bloody hell, cursory Google would um, probably prove otherwise. I knew a guy once who, many, many years ago, he used to frequent a bar that I went to in my hometown. And he once said to me, I worked for DEFRA at the time I was a civil servant. And he said, at the end of the day, a white, straight man like me, a fox has got more rights than me. And I was like, I mean, that's absolutely categorically not true, but um, but fine. That's, that's the victim narrative, mm. the what narrative that is being propagated now. That's it. That's that's everywhere we see it, and it's not just like on these clandestine sites on the you know on no. on the web. We see this in the mainstream. We've heard this. You know, you get public. Like, you know public figures that you know have a bit of power and 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 of course ironically they're always the ones that say they're being cancelled yeah. as well while speaking on a public platform but yeah it's the the messages it, it kind of they're being reinforced and validated as well you know on and offline leading on from that point the final question i wanted to ask you is about duh, 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 jeremy clarkson so the article that he wrote for The Sun 
about Meghan Markle, uh, which we've spoken about on the podcast, which you will have seen, I'm sure listeners would have seen, no doubt, reported on widely. It became like the most complained about to the independent press complaints body, the most complained about article ever, in which he, to me, to my mind, quite clearly incites violence against Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex. You know, I don't want to go off on a whole like Meghan Markle thing here. I think she's a bit of a wally, to be honest. But I also think that she deserves to live a life free from abuse based on her race, gender and all sorts of other things. And I think that it is possible to believe both of those things at the same time. Would that legislation in the online safety bill apply to news outlets? Because then does that not present an opportunity for change there if for example, articles like Jeremy Clarkson's piece of shit that he wrote for The Sun, you know, that then there would be some kind of onus on them not to publish things like that. Or does that fall under a freedom of speech area? So, I mean, in terms of who who the legislation applies to, I mean, it just applies to the platform providers, the social mm-hmm. media companies. It's their responsibility to monitor what what is on their platforms, basically. So there's going to be no sort of penalties for users. Apart, I mean, they could just get, well, they could get off. They could have their accounts blocked, but there's going to be no sort of criminal sanctions unless there's an actual you know, evidence of a criminal act. This is where that whole sort of grey blurring of harm, harmful, but, you know, but legal content comes into it. But exactly, it's not, so if it's not illegal, then obviously for individual users, so that legislation doesn't apply, it's too removed. It's applying to the companies to then say, you know, and most of the time, People, you know, get suspended. They don't never fully get removed. Or they do get removed, Andrew Tate, and then come back when Elon Musk buys Twitter. But yeah, so in terms of would it like a deterrent for people? No, of course not. And that you mentioned there about freedom of speech. Well, this is one of the big concerns about the online safety bill. And there's been a lot of pushback. And and I, for one, um, I I wouldn't want a completely monitored and controlled internet because, of course, it's just going to hand power to people already, you know, in the elite and privileged position to then basically control the, everybody else, you know, everyday citizens. But at the same time, freedom of speech does not mean the freedom to abuse. It's not a free for all. You can do what you want. And we've also got to remember in terms of, say, protecting freedom of speech, you, what you end up doing is protecting abusers. You end up protecting those with power privilege. To, you're just protecting those to continue their abuse at the detriment to those who are already marginalised. Women are often silenced, and particularly marginalised persons, and, you know, that they, it was voices we don't ordinarily hear. Well, then they, you know, then their freedom of speech is being curtailed because they're being abused, they're being driven off, off you know, off platforms and things. So there's that issue. But yeah, in terms of, I'd like to say something more optimistic and positive about the legislation. But the problem is, until they say recognise gender, recognise violence against women, recognise the disproportional abuses that marginalised persons are experiencing and centre their experiences and hear from them about what we need to do to protect them, rather than saying what we're inevitably doing is protecting perpetrators and those are already with privilege then then actually this this isn't going to make any any difference unfortunately so sobering stuff Lisa. <laughs> sorry 
<laughs> I said I'd like to end on a on a on a happier note. But um yeah, I mean there are amazing organizations that have been campaigning to get gender included mm. within the online safety bell and they're just not being listened to. Well, Lisa, I presume that this is the kind of thing that you are talking about quite a lot on various platforms. Where can we follow you online? Okay, so I am on Twitter for the mm-hmm. moment. Musk hasn't driven me off yet. So I'm at Lisa underscore Segura. Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me. <laughs> thank you. Standard Issue for All Women.